Hey ASM, how's it going? Uh, if you are new with us this week, you somehow stumbled upon our video, a friend invited you to come and watch this with them. Uh, my name is Curtis. I am one of the pastors here at ASM or Alderwood Student Ministry. Uh, if you're watching this video on your own, that's totally fine. Uh, what I'm gonna ask you to do though is grab a copy of God's Word. You can uh, look it up online or if you have a physical copy that you can pull out and have there with you so that you can actually follow along as we're teaching through uh, this passage. Uh, the intention for all of these videos is that you would use them in the context of your small group during our midweek gatherings on Zoom. So hopefully you have had your small group time, now you're gonna watch this as a uh, small group, and then you're gonna move into a time of discussion after the video is over. Thank you so much for gathering with us this week. Now on to our video. What's up, ASM? It is so good to be back with you. It feels like it's been a hot minute since I have been with you guys, uh, able to bring God's word. I'm really excited today to be able to bring this passage to you and hang out with you virtually. If you haven't read the passage yet for today, here's what I want you to do, because we're, we're doing this in the context of our small group, so if you're watching this on your own, that's totally fine. You haven't read the passage yet, though. I'm gonna ask you to press pause, Go grab a copy of God's Word. Go ahead, do it. Uh, and you're going to go to Genesis 39. You're going to read verses 1 through 20a. Okay, Genesis 39, 1 through 20. Once you've done that, go ahead and press play and continue. All right, so you're back with us. Let me pray for us as we get started. God, I just ask that this morning or this evening or this afternoon or whenever it is that we're together uh, going over this passage, God, that you would speak, uh, that we would be sensitive to your leading, that you would direct us, that you would direct me as, as I've poured over this passage and, uh, and sought you, that it would come across clearly and that we would be able to take some application from this message, walk away, apply it to our lives as we continue to strive to be everyday followers of Jesus. It's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. That was for you, middle school. Guys, okay, so last week you were with Austin in Genesis chapter 37. We started this new series called Meant for Good, looking at the life of Joseph. Here's what we learned in Genesis 37. Joseph is daddy's favorite. He's a daddy's boy, okay? And he's kind of a brat. Uh, not only that, but his dad gave him a special coat. It's a, a coat of splendor. We sometimes call it the coat of many colors. But he's given something that is a physical uh, symbol that shows I'm daddy's favorite. That obviously isn't going to sit well if you have a ton of older brothers, right? Well, not only that, he's a bit of a dreamer and he interprets these dreams and tells his brothers and eventually his dad too, that his dreams mean that one day they're all going to bow down to him and in effect serve him as the youngest. Again, not going to bode well for him. Well, his brothers, like most older brothers, are pretty upset about this. And so they take it to the nth degree and decide we're going to 
kill him. So they beat him up, they throw him into a pit, and while they're deciding how they're going to kill him, one of the brothers, Reuben, speaks up. By the way, Reuben, not a hero in this story, because what ends up happening is Reuben says, well, hey, let's not kill him, let's just sell him into slavery. And what they were thinking is, Joseph's weak, he never works out in the field, he's not strong, so if we sell him as a slave, he'll eventually die anyway, right? So they've just gone from, like, murder first degree to, like, manslaughter, like, they've just removed themselves a degree, that's it, okay? They're not heroes here. They decide not to kill him. Instead, they sell him to some Ishmaelite slave traders. And we could get into a lot about the Ishmaelites and the Israelites and the significance here, but that's for another time. Then we get to chapter 38. Whoops, we're going to skip chapter 38 simply because it's kind of a pause in the story of Joseph. And it talks a lot about some things that happened with his brothers specifically one brother named Judah. And there's some crazy stuff that happens in chapter 38. You can go read it on your own if you wish. But we're going to skip forward to chapter 39 and catch back up with Joseph. Now, here's what you need to know. Joseph is sold to a powerful Egyptian named Potiphar. It's a great Bible name, right? Potiphar. Well, it says that God was with Joseph and eventually he placed the entire household under Joseph's command. Under Joseph's management is what Potiphar ends up doing. Things are going actually extremely well, considering the fact that he's still a slave. Nothing, it says, is outside of Joseph's purview for Potiphar, except the food that Potiphar places in his own mouth. Now we enter the villain. And if you've never heard this story before, this is kind of crazy. The, the villain is Potiphar's own wife. The Bible tells us that Joseph was well-built and handsome. So I want you to imagine probably some um, combination of me and like Jason Momoa from uh, Aquaman. Potiphar's wife, though, think, uh, thinks that Joseph is hot, right? Daily, for some time, she tries to get Joseph to sleep with her. Now, he refuses her advances, and at one point, actually, when she, he's caught alone with her, he literally throws off his outer cloak to get away from her, and he runs out of the building, runs out of the house. She then accuses Joseph of attempted rape, and he's thrown into prison. Now, our big idea for this week, as we look at meant for good, is that God brings good out of injustice. First thing I want us to see is that we are to flee sin out of a devotion to Christ. Now, remember, Joseph is on uh, this side of Jesus, right? Before Jesus. And we're on the other side. So our devotion is to Christ. The one, and this one seems pretty straightforward. Joseph probably could have gotten away with it. I want you to think about Joseph's situation here for a minute. This is a sin he probably could have gotten away with. No one would have known except for the two people involved. Potiphar wasn't going to tell her husband, for sure. Uh, she tells her husband later because she got caught in her own sin. And she lies about someone else. But we'll get to that in a moment. Potiphar's wife was likely very attractive. This is at a time in history where women didn't have a lot of rights or social standing. And so Potiphar, being a wealthy, high-ranking Egyptian man, had his veritable pick of the litter. He could literally pick any woman he want. We have we have a reason to believe that she was probably very attractive. So for Joseph, this was a genuine temptation, something he could have gotten away with, and somebody who was obviously probably pretty attractive. This attempt to lure Joseph to sin went on for a long time. Joseph has endurance under temptation and pressure. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 tells us as followers of Jesus, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, 
Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, this applies not just to sexual sin, which Paul is talking about and which Joseph is dealing with, but we flee all sin because we are purchased by the blood of Jesus. We honor Jesus with our whole life because of what he's already done for us. This isn't about earning favor. This is about proper response to what's been done. The next thing is that we trust God to sort out the injustice. See, Joseph actually bears a parallel with Jesus here. Jesus, like Joseph, was silent before his accusers. Now, don't take this to mean, I want to be very clear here, do not take this to mean that if something terrible is happening to you, that you should not tell someone or speak up. You may need to go to a trusted adult. You may need to come to Wyatt or myself or one of our other pastors or an authority figure in your life and and tell somebody what's going on. That's not what we're saying. What this does mean is that we remove ourselves from the process for punishment or vindication. This is saying we're not going to be vigilantes, okay? Uh, Seeking justice is not the same thing as getting even. Romans 12, 19 through 21 says this. Again, the Apostle Paul, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Guys, it will be 13 years between the point in time when Joseph is sold into slavery and the point where he is restored. 13 years. For some of you middle schoolers, this is like the entirety of your life thus far. Joseph will live your lifetime as a slave or as the story ends this week in prison. Now, this last one is really important and it's where we're going to spend a fair amount of time. God is on the side of those who experience Injustice. Let me say that again. God is on the side of those who experience injustice. Now, it might be very easy at this point in Joseph's story, and we're going to keep looking at him, but in a moment I'm going to ask you to draw back and look at this from the outside. But if you are Joseph in this moment, it might be very easy to feel like God has forgotten you or that he simply doesn't care. But it's a repeated phrase in Genesis 39 that brings us back to something. One is that he is blessed by God, but it's this repeated phrase. The Lord was with Joseph. Where is Joseph? He is in the position of somebody who is oppressed, who is having injustice done to him. And as Joseph remains faithful to God, the Lord was with Joseph. is repeated multiple times throughout chapter 39. Now, this this next thing I'm going to share with you is not necessarily a new insight for me, but it is a hard truth. And what we find often is that what's happening in culture or happening in our own lives causes certain parts of a passage to maybe spring out at us in a way that it didn't before. Like all of a sudden you go, oh my word, this actually, this looks like what I'm dealing with today or what I see going on around us today. And so there's something that's kind of hidden in the words of this passage that, uh, that really stick out today. And here's what it is. Joseph has his ethnicity weaponized against him. 
He has his ethnicity weaponized against him. Twice it is said by the villain, by Potiphar's wife, this Hebrew came here to make sport of us when she's trying to win people to her side, the other servants in the household. And then she says to the one in authority, Potiphar, this Hebrew came here to make sport of me. See, she's leveraging what she knew about the social standing of not just the fact that he was a slave, but the fact that he was a Hebrew. She could have said this man. She could have said this, this slave tried to rape me. That's not what she said. She, in essence, is saying this dirty Jew tried to rape me. We need to pause and understand what she's doing here is calculated. She leveraged his ethnicity as a means to gain others to her cause and then to manipulate the authority figure to her side. This has actually happened throughout history when those in power wish to use that power to prey on people who they see as less than themselves or weaker. In Hitler's day, his propaganda looked a lot like this. Hey, uh, German store shop owner, I want you to notice that your business is, is really struggling and that Jewish business down the street is doing really well. Why do you think that is? Well, I mean, if you're, if you're suffering and they're doing well, they probably got there by some unsavory means. And see, it's those little things, those, those calculated words that begin to build a sense of prejudice. And we've seen this kind of racial injustice in our own world very recently. The murders of Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, and the one that personally just breaks my heart the most, Breonna Taylor, who was murdered in her sleep. The story is happening to Joseph. There's a correlation between, and this is where I'm going to ask you to take a step back and realize that, yeah, sometimes we like to put ourselves in the position of the hero, but I want you to take a step back and realize we're on the outside of this story looking in the same way that we see a news story or we're reading uh, something on, on social media about something that's happened or, or we're hearing it talked about. It didn't happen directly to us, but we're involved. Outside looking in. The question is, and often we know very acutely what to do about injustice that's happening to us, injustice we experience. What do we do about injustice we see versus the injustice that we experience? The great Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are all caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied together in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. I want you to think that when he said this, there was no internet. It's never actually been more true, this statement, than it is now. That what happens to one directly affects all indirectly. Because what happened in Minneapolis, we viewed on our screens in the greater Seattle area. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. See, a cursory reading of the Gospels will tell us that Jesus is on the side of the marginalized and the oppressed. He constantly stands opposed to those who perpetuate injustice toward others. And it isn't always racial injustice, although that's something that's directly before us in our current cultural moment. 
Maybe it's injustice or wrongdoing toward a friend, a parent, a neighbor, a sibling, someone who doesn't look like you for any number of reasons. But Jesus mourns with those who mourn. In John 10, we find Jesus at the tomb of his friend Lazarus, who he knows he's about to raise from the dead. But it says this, Jesus wept. And those who were there said, see how he loved him. See, Jesus mourned with those who mourned because they were mourning the death. And Jesus mourned the death of his friend. The writer of Hebrews tells us that we have a savior who understands our pain. It's easy to read ourselves into the hero's position in any story we read. I want you gentlemen, especially, think about when you daydream, what are you thinking about? You're daydreaming about being the hero of some story. We always put ourselves in the hero's position, but a good heart check is to ask, how have I been or how am I the villain? How are we Potiphar's wife? Where have we been the one perpetuating some kind of injustice or wrongdoing? See, I was told recently, uh, this was said to me by one of our other pastors on staff, Steve Brooks. He says, remember, Curtis, there is no gospel without justice. Literally, justice is served on sin by the shedding of Christ's blood. It's very easy to feel a deep sense of justice when we see injustice. But he also reminded me there is no gospel without mercy. They are tied together. We are in need of it, all of us, and it's also provided at the cross. See, it's harder to recognize where I'm in need of mercy because of how I participate in wrongdoing toward others. We need to be aware that we should learn from Joseph's example, to be sure, on how to avoid sin, on how we ought to follow God and trust him. But we we ought not be too quick to dismiss ourselves or remove ourselves from the position of the villain in need of mercy and heart change. And we should all be crying out right now for the ability to stand up to sin and temptation. But we should also be crying out to God that he could cause our hearts to break over the same things that break his. Guys, again, our big idea is that God does bring good out of injustice. As you break up into your small groups, I want you to look at these questions. They'll be on the screen as I close and ask these of each other and yourself. Remember that we ought to be crying out to God, that he would cause our hearts to break over the same things that break his.